Would you please uh, stand now for the reading of the gospel? The gospel according to St. Mark. These words of Jesus beginning in the 13th chapter, verse 31. He put before them an, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We tend to make a big deal over people's last words, somehow or other thinking that the, what they say in the final moments is really important. There are whole websites devoted to people's last words. We've uh, even done that in the church. As um, you have heard numerous preachers uh, over many years preach over the last seven words that Jesus said on the cross. But I am far less interested this morning in those last seven words um, and, and want to pay no attention to that really. What I want to talk about is what Jesus talked about his last 40 days. Because the cross wasn't the end of it, there was then the resurrection. And after the resurrection, we are told he was with the disciples for 40 days and he had something he wanted to say to them that was very important. His last words were 40 days worth. And let me give you a clue. Those 40 days were not about teaching the doctrine of the church. Those 40 days were not about the virgin birth. Those 40 days were not about prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, the book of discipline, or some exclusive way to salvation. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says that he appeared to them for 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. If those were the last things that Jesus talked about and he felt that it was so important that on his last 40 days over and over and over again he wanted to talk about the kingdom of God, that's not a bad thing to be preaching on this morning. It is consistent with who Jesus was throughout his ministry. His very first message, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why aren't we talking about that? How is it that we have lost our way? How is it that the practice of religion has become so restrictive, reductive, and exclusive? Why are we nitpicking each other to death over the church? Doctrine is important. Marcus, Tommy, and I took a vow 
in ordination to uphold the doctrine and teaching of the church. You and I recite the affirmation of faith almost every Sunday to remind ourselves of those things that are important to us. But nobody, I repeat, nobody in the 40 years that I was a pastor ever came to me and said, I want to join the church, but first I want to read your articles of religion. Nobody ever said that. Nobody ever said, what are the general rules of Methodism? I want to know what they are before I join. By the way, the general rules ban wearing jewelry. <laughs> what the church ought to be proclaiming, what the church must proclaim is this amazing, astonishing captivating Jesus and the kingdom that is ever expansive and endlessly mystifying and unstoppably appealing. That's the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. That's the gospel, the kingdom of God. Don't reduce Jesus or salvation or the kingdom of God to just a few exclusive verses here or there. How sad how sad it is that we miss the grandeur of, of Jesus and of the kingdom. Paul in Ephesians, in this passage that you heard Marcus read a few minutes ago, Paul goes overboard in trying to describe the magnificence of Jesus who is above every rule and authority. And, and you, Paul just can't describe him. He could have ended up by saying, uh, Jesus is all. That would have been enough, but, but Paul says, no, it's not Jesus is all. Jesus is, he says, all in all. What does that mean? It would have been enough if he would have just stopped with Jesus is all in all, but he doesn't stop there. He said, Jesus is the fullness of all in all. Does anybody want to explain that to me? He is, in football, you call that piling on. I mean, when one adjective or one description is enough, but on top of that, you add a second one and then a third one, that's piling on. It's piling on in a good way. Jesus, how do we ever, how can we reduce Jesus to an argument? He is the fullness of all in all. If I've never preached that passage, and I probably haven't, it's because words would fail me. I don't, I'd run out of them. Well, how do you, how do you comprehend that? How does a, a mere imperfect one-third of a pastor um, try to explain and convey the magnificence of who Jesus is. He's more than we can grasp. He's more than we can comprehend. Our doctrine, as important as it is, pales in comparison to the Lord and Savior of all creation. And what did he preach? 
And what did he teach? He who is the fullness, who fills all in all, he taught and preached the kingdom of God. We Methodists argue over what Father John Wesley said. Fewer of us know what his brother, the other half of the tandem, uh, fewer of us know what his brother Charles Wesley did. Charles only wrote somewhere between six and 9,000 hymns. And the Methodists really didn't learn their faith, I don't think, so much from John Wesley. They learned it from Charles Wesley. They sang his hymns over and over again. I have one of Charles Wesley's hymnals at home. It is 700 hymns. They're all written by Charles Wesley, not, not this hymnal. I love our hymnal, but we don't sing Charles Wesley hymns very often. I sing one every day. I sang hymn number 402 this morning. There is no music in this little hymnal of mine. I make up my own uh, I make up my own tune, and I sing Charles Wet. How about that, youth choir? You all go with that for a while. <laughs> this morning's hymn, 402, Charles Wesley prays that he would all of the fullness of Christ feel. Let me feel all of Christ's fullness. And over and over again in Charles Wesley's hymns, he uses five-syllable words we never sing five-syllable words in any of our hymns. It's probably a good thing. These are the words that you find if you start singing Charles Wesley's hymns over and over again. Immeasurable, insuperable immensity. He is staggered by this indescribable kingdom of God, which is so immense and beyond anything we can conceive. Astronomers tell us there are a trillion galaxies. Get that, a trillion galaxies. And that because of that, there are 100 sextillion stars. I don't even know what a sextillion is. I don't even know what a trillion is. But, but just grasp the immensity. The kingdom of God. And Jesus describes it in, in various ways. He comes at it from all kinds of different angles because how do you really get your arms around the kingdom of God? He says, well, the kingdom of God, <clears throat> it's like a, a, a seed that is thrown in a field and uh, while the farmer's asleep, the plants are growing. Huh? That's the kingdom of God. He says that, you know, kingdom of God is like a, a little bit of yeast, uh, a, 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 little bit of, a little bit of leaven put in a, a, a loaf, and, and, and it just kind of, it, it makes the whole thing grow. The kingdom of God is like treasure in a field. It is like a man who liquidates everything he has, everything, sells it all so that he can buy that one pearl of great price. It, it is like a net full of fish. Sometimes the kingdom is about sifting and sorting. Sometimes it's about harvest. 
Jesus goes so far as to say the kingdom of God is within you. And in one of my favorite parables, the kingdom of God is like a tree. It started out little, just a little old seed, but it grew into the mightiest of trees. And this tree has got these massive branches and the birds of the air make their nest in that tree. I don't think that was a parable by mistake. Jesus knew that the very first chapters of the Bible talk about the tree of life. And Jesus probably knew that John is going to write in the book of Revelation. Jesus knows about that tree in the very last uh, chapter of the Bible, that tree that grows on either sides of the river of life with, with fruit. Uh, for uh, those who are there. Have you admired a tree lately? I, I don't want to get too ecological with you. That's not the point of this. But trees are unbelievable. And I've been particularly looking at them this year. Every, there's not a, a, a single tree that is the same as another tree. Even if they're the same species or genus or whatever you call them, phylum, I, don't, I never took biology much, so I could be wrong in my terminology here. But pine, dogwood, oak, yellow poplar, sweet gum, magnolia, they're all unbelievable in their own way, and they all provide shade and rest. And they don't just say to a bird, uh, we're only for cardinals in this tree. Uh, you mockingbirds, you, you get in that tree. Uh, you know, we don't want any uh, uh, Carolina wrens here. Uh, you know, you're over there in that little pine tree over there. Get on out of our territory. They, are, they provide branches and shade for the birds of the air. And they sure make you and me happy to be having the shade of them on these hot days that are getting ready to come this summer. How can that parable be anything but appealing and abiding, safety, haven, security, branches for the birds to build their nests? Oh, branches, branches. Have you looked at branches of trees lately? They go in every which direction. Some of them go out straight perpendicular from the trunk. Some of them go straight up. Some of them are twisted all the way around and, and are stunted and strange. And they're all a part of the same tree. Big branches, little branches, itty bitty little twigs. just come back from annual conference. There are people who are determined to leave United Methodism in their body. They want to create a church where all the branches run in one direction, utterly uniform. 
When I was at annual conference this week, I ran into, on the last day, my preacher friend, Eddie. Eddie and I hadn't seen each other for a couple of years because we didn't meet last year. Eddie is the only man at annual conference who wears cowboy hat indoors. I love Eddie. We hadn't laid eyes on each other for a while. He came up to me on that last day. He put his hands on my shoulders. He looked me in the eye. He said, Creed, there's not a person in this room. There's 500 people here. There's not a person in this room I disagree with more politically or theologically. And there's not a person in this room I love more than you. That's the kingdom of God, folks. That's the kingdom of God. And I give thanks for Eddie and his cowboy hat. He is a dear, dear friend. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Arkansas. I have an aunt there who is giving away 25 acres to a land trust. She set it aside for a bird sanctuary. Aunt Betty is 97. Man, I hope I'm half as sharp as she is at 97. Tontytown, Arkansas, up in the far reaches of Northwest Arkansas. And it was an excuse for me to go back to her house that I first went to 60 years ago this summer. There was a little dedication ceremony. A few Henshaws came from uh, the Puget Sound on one coast to the Chesapeake Bay on the other coast into the flyover zone about 20 miles south of the Walmart Mecca in Bentonville. After the ceremony was over, uh, half of Tontytown was there, including the mayor. The Henshaw part of the clan adjourned to Aunt Betty's home for dinner. It was a soft June evening. Sun was setting. We were up on a hill for dinner on her lawn. Her son, my, my cousin Ross, who's a seven-day Adventist preacher, asked me what I was preaching on this last Sunday. I said, I'm preaching on the kingdom of God. He said, well, what is the kingdom of God? What do you think it is? I said, Ross, I don't mean this to be flip, but look around right here. Look where we're standing. He said, this is the kingdom of God right here in Aunt Betty's yard. Tables are overflowing with trays of food. They are decorated. Out here in the two dozen of us, there are Methodists. There are Adventists. There are people around these tables who have walked away from their faith. I said, this is the kingdom of God. I'm sitting next to Donna. Donna, whose wife could not come. There were ex-wives there. 
There were siblings there with complicated relationships with each other. There were recovering alcoholics there. There was a man who drove a forklift truck, another man who flew an airplane. There were liberals there. There was a pickup truck with the Let's Go Brandon sticker on the bumper. There was a vegan loaf out of respect for the one person who was a vegan. There were people from age 10 to age 97 there, all in that yard, shaded by Arkansas trees, rolling hills, pasture land surrounding us, the kingdom of God. Here, now, If it was important enough to Jesus, this amazing, amazing Savior, that for 40 days, his last 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. May that kingdom be so attractive and so appealing to all of us that we too like the birds of the air, find the place to build nests in its branches. Amen.